how would you, if you had to define it, how would you define the good life? What does it mean to be living the good life? And it's something that a lot of us maybe understand or we can feel it when it's happening, but maybe we have a hard time actually defining, well, what is it? What is the good life? What are those things that make it up? Um, it's something that all of us are longing and searching for. And sometimes we might look back at our life and think, you know, life was good then. You know, like, you know, high school, those were the best days of my life. Or, you know, maybe not for you, but maybe there was like a time in your life when you look back and like, that was just the best. I just, you know, and ever since then it's been, you know, difficulty or whatever it is. It's like we might look back and think, that was when life was good. I just wish I could be back there. And sometimes we look forward and think, life will be good when blank happens. So, so we're like striving for it, waiting for it. Maybe for you it's like, um, you know, when I get married or when I have kids or when I have a house or when I get to retire or when I get that job or get to that place in my career that I'm really longing for, then it's going to be the good life. But maybe another way of asking the question, you know, what is, how would you define the good life is to ask, uh, what were you made for? And the good life can be when we feel like this is what I was made for. Have you ever had times when you've just felt like that you're doing something or you're maybe with a certain group of people? I don't know why the first thing that comes to my mind is water skiing, but like maybe you're like water skiing and you're like, yes, this is like, this is what I was made for. This is what life is all about. Like, I just feel like when I'm doing this, I just, I feel good. I feel like I'm excited. I'm happy. I'm free. I'm enjoying something. And you might just have those moments where you're like, this is how life is supposed to be. This is the good life. But we could also ask it another way. We could ask, what do you think heaven will be like? And how you describe what you think heaven will be like. What are you going to be doing when you're in heaven? What's, it, uh, what's the, uh, your relationship with other people? What are going to be the activities, the things that we do? Uh, that's your picture of the good life, heaven or paradise. You know, we have times where they're like, oh, you know, so-and-so's apple pie is heaven on earth. You know, that kind of thing. Like when I'm sitting in front of that apple pie eating it, it's like that's heaven on earth. And we might have those times when we're like, this is heaven, this is paradise. And when we're in this series uh, about uh, the gospel according to Luke. We're going through it, we're in the second part of it. Um, the first part was Jesus, uh, his life starting off, and then uh, him doing a lot of ministry, serving and healing people and preaching around Galilee, which was the region his hometown was in. And now we're in a section, chapters 9 through 19, where he's heading to Jerusalem. He's traveling with other people to the capital for Passover, and as he's going, he's talking to people along the way. And one of the main topics he's talking about is, what is the kingdom of God? What's it about? What's it like? Uh, how do you get in on it? And really, the kingdom of God is the good life. If you, you know, we ask those, what are other ways to ask it? What were you made for? What do you think heaven will be like? Uh, the gospel according to Matthew often says the kingdom of heaven. Um, this gospel often uses the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is talking to people about the good life, the kingdom of God. And he says, it's at hand. It's coming. It's you know right around the corner. Get ready for it. Like the good life is coming. And the this, we're in a, kind of a bigger passage, um, chapter eleven, verses fourteen through thirty-six, and it has three parts. Last week we talked about the first part, um, verses fourteen and sixteen of chapter eleven. Set it up where there's this guy that has a demon, and Jesus casting out that demon. And as he does so, there's three different responses that people give. Uh, to what's going on there. And let me just reread those first uh, two verses of um, Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 16. It says, Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. 
while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. And so he's casting out this demon. You see these three responses of the crowds. Uh, one group of people attributes what he does to Satan. Uh, another group are just amazed by what he does. And then some people asked for a sign from heaven. Last week we covered uh, how the people who are saying this is, he's casting out demons by the power of the devil. And we, so we addressed, last week he addressed that um, group. And then in verses, what we're looking at today, verses 27 and 28, he addresses the people that are amazed by what he does. And what we see from this is that there's kind of um, three rings of people around Jesus. It's like here's Jesus at the center of all the stuff that's going on. And around him there's this core of people that are like all in, fully committed, people he can trust to send out on, to represent him with his authority um, to do the things that he was doing. Then you have this group of committed people. So there's the Jesus, then there's a the core, then there's the committed people who said, yeah, I'm going to follow you, but maybe they're not you know, in that inner circle. And then on the outside of that, there's the crowd of people that are maybe critics, or maybe they're curious about them, or they're cured of diseases or demons, or they're looking for a cure. And you see, you have these rings that are around Jesus, and he's addressing the crowd in this passage of what, how people are responding. They haven't committed, they're not part of the core, they're part of this crowd of people who haven't fully uh, responded to Jesus how he calls them to. And so he addresses each of them and challenges them with a better response. And our question is, how does Jesus want us to respond to him? How does Jesus want people to respond to him when he heals them, when he teaches, when he casts out demons? What is the response he's looking for? And the Bible talks about the good life a lot. And you can know when it's talking about the good life, when it's talking about the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, and when it's a sentence starts with the word blessed. Uh, blessed are you when blank happens. Blessed are you when you do this. Talking about what is the blessed life? What is the good life? And so that's the topic for today. Um, but in your, before we get into this passage, in your uh, groups, people next to you, uh, share what are elements you think will be part of the good life. If you were to give your definition of like what the good life is, uh, what do you think would need to be part of that for it to be the good life? What elements would be included in that? So share that for a few minutes with your group. What are the elements that you think will be part of the good life? Say being tuned to God's heart. Mm-hmm. 
Just share for the rest of us what was maybe an answer that stuck out to you or that seemed to really make sense. What are some of the answers given? No, no spokesperson, but just whoever wants to share one. Sure Ashley, you have one? I brought up Nancy's hierarchy of needs. Wow. The different things that we were talking about kind of hit on the different tiers okay. of that. Oh, the, what are the tiers? Um, well, at the bottom, it would be basic things like um, safety okay. um, and food, shelter, clothing, Water, okay. That sort of thing because if you don't have those things, it's kind of hard to focus on anything else in your life and being fulfilled or satisfied in other ways like finding something. But if you have all those things and you can make your way up towards other layers of health and satisfaction um, to the point of self-actualization okay. um, at the top where you're, you're feeling satisfied with life, you're content, you're, you feel like you have a purpose, you're doing what like you're where you should be. Okay. Yeah. Basic needs, and then you might be moving up into purpose and um, does my life matter kind of thing. Okay, anybody else have other things or maybe a picture you came up with? Said, uh, lack of stress and pain. Lack of stress and pain, yeah. Yeah. Uh, purpose. And purpose, all right. You guys got a report from your group? in line with God's heart. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Belonging and purpose. Yeah, I've heard someone say that the two most basic questions everyone's asking are, do I matter and do I belong? And so maybe that's part of it too. But I, it'd be interesting if all of us were like, you know, close your eyes for a minute and w- if it's like, picture the good life or picture having, you know, what picture comes up. And so maybe for some people, some of us would be like laying on a beach. Um, and maybe it's those situations, maybe we feel lack of stress or maybe Jonathan would say in a tree stand, you know, it's like one of those times when it's like when I'm doing this, it's just like, ah, it's like what I've been looking forward to. Well, everyone is chasing some version of the good life. Every one of us, everyone. There's something we are chasing. And maybe some of us have given up on it but maybe some of us still are holding out hope that something that, that could come about for us. And every advertiser uh, knows this, that they sit, are trying to show you this product or this service. If you have this, that's the, you have, you're living the good life, or this will get you to the good life. I mean, think about commercials. It's like people having fun or people having a problem, and then this thing takes it away. And it's like that thing that they're selling us is essential to the good life. And the question for us is, is our definition of the good life the same as Jesus' definition? Is our definition of the good life the same as Jesus' definition? Are we chasing the kind of life that God wants for us? And so this passage, uh, as I said last week, the critics kind of speak up. Jesus casts out a demon, and then the critics speak up and they say, He's, the power he has to do this comes from the devil. And then Jesus tells them, well, actually, that doesn't really make sense. Here's why you're wrong. 
Also, if I just cast out demons and people don't turn to God, then they're going to be in a worse condition because then more demons are going to come into their life. And so you can almost feel like the, the silence. Like, I mean, can you guys imagine if one of you stood up and said, you're doing this by the power of the devil. And all of us would be kind of be like, uh, what's going to happen now? And then Jesus responds to that person. And then you can imagine the silence or the awkwardness. Someone may want to kind of like break it. And I feel like that's kind of what this woman does. She kind of gets them out of the conflict, out of the awkwardness. Um, in verse 27, this woman who is part of this crowd uh, then says, uh, said, as he said these things, so as Jesus is talking to them about the demons, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nurse. You know, like, I probably wouldn't say that to me. Uh, not quite even something we say, but, you know, just if it's like, well, this is super awkward. Let's try to get this conversation back on track. Let's get to something positive. Like, those critics, yeah, they're kind of the negative voices, but, you know, maybe someone would stand up. Maybe Vince would stand up and be like, Mitch, we think you're doing a great job. Like, your mom must be so proud. And we'd all be like, oh, okay, this is, <laughs> that got us back to, like, you know, positive track or something like that. Um, so this woman gets up and says this. And every parent wants their kids to be successful. Every parent desires that. I mean, you know, it's like if you're the parent of Jesus, uh, she's like, he's going to be so proud of you. Your mom must, you know, feel so blessed to have such a great son, a son uh, like you, he, to be so proud of you. And so it's like your mom is living the good life, a blessed life. Is You're, you're doing great. Like you, as her kid, it, she must be so blessed to, to, you know, raise you and to be in this situation where she's seeing what you're doing. And really, actually... Uh, people did say this. If we go back to chapter 1, verses 42 through 44, when Jesus is born. Oh, are we getting his birth announced? And we both have uh, Elizabeth. Um, so Jesus' mom's name is Mary. And then when she's pregnant, she goes to visit her relative. And this is what her relative says. She walks in, Elizabeth is her relative, and she says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And so other people have already you know, said, you know, wow, you must be you're so great, you're so blessed to be in this situation. And Mary said it too in chapter 1, verse 48. Uh, she has this song that she sings in praise. So Jesus' mom says in chapter 1, verse 48, Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And so there's a sense of blessing. When Jesus, uh, she knows she's pregnant with Jesus, the angel tells her, you're going to become uh, pregnant by the Spirit of God. And so there's a sense of like, wow, you know, how blessed am I that this is my situation. But Jesus kind of turns it a different way. He says in verse 28, uh, but he said, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And so this lady who stood up, or, you know, raised her voice and like, let's get things back to thinking about how wonderful Jesus is. Like, surely this is a safe thing to say. And he's like, actually, <laughs> uh, that's not quite what I want to focus on here. And he says, blessed, rather. Uh, it's not like a total rejection of what she says, um, but there is a correction in it. And it's like, it's not wrong for people to think his mom is blessed be in this situation to be um, raising Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. But Jesus is kind of like, well, yes, she is blessed, but not for that reason. Or yes, she is blessed because of that. But more importantly, uh, he wants to take us to something truer and deeper, something that you can rely on more rather than uh, if it's just his mom is blessed because she got to give birth to the Messiah, the Savior, the King. 
Well, then what about the rest of us? Can the rest of us be blessed? None of us are Mary um, giving birth to Jesus. And we're even told in chapter 1, verse 38, when Mary is told that she give birth to the Messiah, her response was this. She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And so Mary's response to having this news that, hey, uh, you're going to become pregnant with the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for for hundreds of years. And she says, you know, may it be to me according to your word. And so Mary herself is uh, an example of what Jesus, Jesus says here, that uh, blessed are rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And then even Elizabeth, her relative, who praised and blessed her, blessed Mary, said in verse 45 of chapter 1, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so there's this both and with Mary and Elizabeth. Both of them are like, what a blessing that you get to be in this position in the kingdom of God, in God's plan. But also, you believed God. You trusted God. You did what he said. You said, I'm his servant. I'm surrendered to do what he says. And so it's almost like Jesus is saying, okay, uh, you could praise her for giving birth to me, but here's something even better I think you should praise her for. Uh, I grew up with a mom who did what God says. She was an example worth imitating. Praise her for that. That when she heard God's word, she said, yes, that's what I want to do. And she had this surrender. She was responsive. And so it's almost, he's saying, like, no one is truly blessed unless they're listening to God. Even if his mom would not be blessed, if all she did was, you know, give birth to Jesus and then stop listening to God. Like, there's some sense of blessing there that, like, oh, look, my kid grew up to be this great person who's doing all these things. But if she's not responding to God, she can't be blessed in the truest and deepest way possible. And so who's truly blessed? You know, this woman says, blessed is your mom, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Blessing is possible for everyone. It's open to everyone. My mom was blessed because she obeyed God's word. And you can be too. That, that's where blessing, true and deep blessing, comes from. And you can tell the whole story of the Bible and the whole world with the theme of hearing and keeping God's word. That's what he says here. Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So you can just tell the whole story of the world, the whole story of the Bible, along that theme. The blessing of doing what God says and the curse of not doing what God says. And so let's do a little road trip through the Bible. God creates in Genesis 1 by speaking. Speaks the world into existence. By his word, he speaks into existence. And then he blesses humanity, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill, fill the earth. So he speaks words over humanity. And then Genesis 3.1, uh, where do Adam and Eve go astray? The serpent, uh, Satan in the form of a serpent, the devil in the form of a serpent, comes to them and says, well, did God really say that? Starts questioning, can you really trust what God said? Is that really a good thing he told you to do? And so uh, we fall into rebellion against God uh, because of uh, questioning God's words. And humans have heard God's word, but they decide not to keep it, not to obey it, not to trust it. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God says to a man named Abraham, uh, through you, you know, he's using words, he's blessing him, saying, through you, I'm going to bring blessing back to the entire world. It's all cursed because everyone turned away from listening to me, and now I'm going to bring blessing back to the world through you, Abraham. Genesis 15:6, God promises you're going to become this great nation, and we're told Abraham believed what God said and was counted to him as righteousness. He believed what God said. Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6, uh, Abraham's family uh, grows. He grows them into a great nation. This is part of God's promise that he would grow Abraham's family into the people of Israel. 
But then they end up enslaved in Egypt. And God comes in and he, his words to Pharaoh are, let my people go. God's words, Pharaoh hardens his heart, doesn't let them go at first. Eventually he's judged for it. But then God brings them out. And he's, the whole thing was that he wanted to bring them out so they could worship him uh, out in the wilderness. So he brings them to this mountain. Exodus 19, God speaks to them, telling them what he's done and, and who he is. And he says, if you will indeed obey my voice. And then he says, uh, right before the Ten Commandments, these, these are my words. God spoke all these words, saying, and so he doesn't say, here's the Ten Commandments. He says, God spoke all these words. These Ten Commandments are what you're supposed to follow in order to be, have a relationship with me. And then Psalm 1, Psalm 19, Psalm 119, all talk about Blessed is the person who trusts in God's word, who delights in it, who meditates on it, uh, who keeps it, who observes it. And so there's this, among the people of God, there's supposed to be this delight in what God says. It's not something that's a burden, but something that we want for our lives. And Israel, of course, went astray. It was like, here's my words, Israel. Listen to them, obey them, keep them. But the nation of Israel went astray. And so there's these people named prophets who came to speak on God's behalf. And those, uh, when they're called to do that, it, the books that um, they wrote are called, it says, the word of the Lord came to. So God's words came to this person for them to deliver it on God's behalf to his people. And often, you know, basically what he's, they're addressing is, you've turned from listening to God. You've turned from doing what God says. The word of the Lord has come to me to come tell you, warn you about this. Turn back. And then after centuries of this going on, in John 1, we read about Jesus, that the Word, the Word of God became flesh. The Word through whom and by whom and for whom all was created became a living being. That Jesus was the Word through whom God created all things, became flesh. And then in Luke chapter 4, we saw earlier in this Gospel that Jesus was tested whether he would trust God's Word. That the, the devil, Satan, came to him and was questioning him. And Jesus kept coming back to quoting God's word back to him. Like, I'm doing and trusting in what God says. And of course, Jesus is teaching uh, in Luke chapter 4, how he begins his ministry. He's teaching in the synagogues of Galilee. He's preaching, proclaiming with words the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 4, his inaugural sermon. He reads from God's word from Isaiah. Uh, and then he says, I've been sent to proclaim. You know, those words he read talk about sent to proclaim, to proclaim good news, to proclaim liberty, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So words, he's been sent to give words to people of good news. And then he tells the people listening, this word that I just read has been fulfilled from the prophet Isaiah. And Luke 4.43 said, I'm sent to preach good news. And then there's so much about the authority and power of Jesus' words. Luke chapter 4, verse 36, people say, what is this word with authority and power? He commands the unclean spirits and they come out that he doesn't have this elaborate ritual. He just says, get out of this person. And then people are like, what is this word? He just says words, and they listen to him. Luke chapter 5, verse 10 and verse 27, he says to people, follow me. Those are the words, follow me. People, and then people come and follow him. His authority again, Luke chapter 5, 20 to 26, he declares forgiveness, and people say, who can forgive, uh, who can forgive sins but God alone? You can't just... Use your words to say someone's forgiven, and, but he is. Luke chapter 7, verse uh, 7, uh, a centurion, a Roman soldier, says, uh, says, I want you to heal my servant. And he, Jesus is like, okay, I'll go with you. And he says, no, 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 just say the word, 
and let my servant be healed. He believes you have authority to just say the word and somebody you know, from a distance will be healed. You don't even have to be there. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 24, he, re- he rebukes a storm. He stands up in this storm that the people he's with think they're going to die and he says, you know, quiet down. <laughs> quiet down, storm. And then it, it's still. And his disciples say, who then is this? That he commands even winds and water and they obey him. Luke chapter 8, verse 54, he comes up to a dead girl and he just says the words, child, arise, and she gets up from the dead. And he, he talks about the importance of responding to his words. Luke, in his, the sermon on the plain in Luke uh, chapter 6, he says, build your house on this rock. Let me actually just turn back and uh, read it quick. It's very sh- how he ends his sermon. He's talking about uh, what are you going to base your life on? Are you going to listen to this or, or not? My fingers aren't working, though. I should have a professional page turner come help me. Ah, So he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And then a flood arose. The stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. And then just shortly after, he has in Luke chapter 8, the parable of the sower, that he says the sower is sowing the word of God, sending it out and you know, dropping it on the soil. And in the good soil, it springs up and bears fruit. In the shallow soil, it burns up. Um, in the thorny soil, it gets choked out. And in some ground, it's just too hard for it to penetrate. Then Jesus' last words to his disciples, or close to the last, are Matthew 28, 18-20, the Great Commission, which isn't just go, he says, you know, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. How? By baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and by teaching them, not just teaching him his words, but teaching them to observe his commands, to keep his commands, to do what he says. And then James chapter 2, there's many more passages, exhorts us to be hearers, not only hearers, but doers of the word. And, I just want to, and there's a reason that this is a theme in the Bible. It's because we tend to hear what God has to say and not do it. We do other things with God's words besides keeping them, observing them, obeying them, trusting them. So I want you to take a moment in your groups and interact around this question. What are we telling God when we don't do what he says? And in addition to that, what are we saying we believe about God and ourselves when we don't do what he says? Does that make sense? Like if I tell Hudson to do something and he doesn't do it, what's he telling me? I could conclude, well, he doesn't respect me or he doesn't trust me, you know, X, Y, and Z. What are we saying we believe about God and ourselves when we hear God say something and we don't do it? So take a moment to discuss in your groups.
sort of what do you think the guy when you don't plan? Yeah, when you don't do what he wants tells you to do. All right, let's come together, back together as a big group. I bet if you were to think about it, uh, sometimes we say, when so-and-so speaks, people listen. I bet you could think of people in your life when it's like, when they speak, you, you tune in, you listen. It could be because, be because you're afraid of them, that there are dire consequences if you do not do what they said. It could be because you respect them. Have they shown you a lot of love? You know, it could be a lot of reasons. Like, when this person talks, I listen. And our question is, when God speaks, what do you feel inside of you? Well, I better listen, because if I don't do this, like, I'm going to be in big trouble. Or I want to listen, because um, I, I respect him so much. I love him. I want to know what he's doing. It might be a lot of responses. But my big idea for today is very simple. Obeying God is a blessing. Obeying God is a blessing. Or if you want to go with the term we used earlier, obeying God is the good life. Obeying God is the good life. Period. Not obeying God so that I am given the good life. Obeying God so that He does X, Y, and Z for me. Or obeying God so that He's not mad at me. Or I'm not in trouble. Obeying God is the good life. Because that's life with God. Life and a relationship with God in His kingdom. To do what God says is to live with Him as our King. Your best life is found in obeying God. That's life as God designed it, right? The good life is, this is what I was made for. This is, I just feel like I, I belong, I have purpose, like I'm doing something that matters. And we have that when we obey God, because that's the life He made us for, that He has called us to. And Jesus went around preaching the kingdom of God, preaching the good life. And the good life is one where God is king, where God and humanity are in a right relationship with each other. And if he's the king, our creator, our father, uh, that means our position in that relationship is one of obedience and surrender and submitting and listening to him and doing what he says. To enter the kingdom of God, we need to make Jesus king, surrendering to him, do what he says. We cannot have the good life, the kingdom of God, without wanting to do what the king of the kingdom says. And so one, you know, Jesus went about preaching good news, not good advice. That and good news is like it's there or not, whether you respond to it. It's like here's the good news. This is something that has happened uh, because of which everything is now changed. And he was preaching good news, and now it's like, are you going to respond to it? And it's not good advice. That's like an optional suggestion of like 
do this if you, you know, kind of feel like it or if you're you know, up for it or whatever. He's like, no, there's something that happened, good news, and now are you going to respond to it rightly? And sometimes I think we can find out what our version of a good life is by completing the sentence, if only. And by the way, just a little side note. I know I do this application, if onlys. You know, I don't know about how often it is. It's probably at least once every two months. But the reason I don't feel bad about doing the same application is because, for the most part, we know more than we obey. And if we can bring up the same question or the same application over and over again, and we still find, oh, I'm not perfectly obeying that, so therefore I can think about it again. Jesus said, teach to obey, uh, not teach to, you know, get us excited about new information. Like, if we're not doing it, we can talk about it again. So our version of the good life might be like, if only this, if only this person respects me, if only my work could be this way, if only I had this much money, or if only I could be, uh, you know, fishing or hunting or on a cruise or whatever it is, um, that it, those are my, you know, if only this would be the true of it. And Jesus' desired response to what he says is repentance, to turn whatever is directing our life now and turn to God and do what he says. So it's like, here's my if only, God. This is what I think is the good life. But I'm going to turn from that. I'm going to turn to you and obey you as the good life. And so it's like, even if I don't get those things that I think would make me have the good life or be blessed, I'm still going to obey you. And what I think is really key to what Jesus says here is that the good life is available to anyone, anytime, anywhere. The good life is available to anyone, anytime, anywhere. And in this passage, she's not. it's not just for my mom and me. <laughs> it's not she's the only one blessed. He's like, no, no, here's an even better thing. That this is available to everyone. This is blessing is available to anyone, anytime, anywhere. And we see that in the Beatitudes. Uh, you know, these, how Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, how he starts the Sermon on the Plain. In Luke chapter 6, he, he begins, looks at his, his disciples and says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And so notice, these are poor people, hungry people, weeping people, people getting bullied and persecuted and beat up for their faithfulness to God. And he said, you're blessed. The the good life is available to you because the good life is found in being part of the kingdom of God, obeying the king, doing what he says. Obeying God is a blessing. Obeying God is the good life. And so we might have wrong or incomplete responses to Jesus, what he says. And this... uh, woman, you can call her response wrong or just say maybe it's incomplete, didn't go far enough but she's, she's impressed with Jesus and so she's like your mom must be so proud to have such a wonderful son uh, and so in a way she's a fan, not a follower he's like no, 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 it's not just that being you know, impressed by me but you need to follow me, do what I say do what God says, that's what I'm inviting you to I don't want you to just be impressed with me I want you to imitate me, moving from being impressed to imitating, follow me and following Jesus is less like learning from a professor who lectures and then thinking, did I learn anything new today? Uh, it's more like uh, apprenticing under a plumber or a carpenter or a mechanic. It's on the job, watching what they're doing, becoming like them, doing what they do. And so Jesus isn't about people just being, you know, this woman maybe being like, you're casting out demons, I love your sermons, like, 
yeah, like that was so great. He's like, no, 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 I want more than that. I want you to come and imitate me, to follow me, to take my life and make it yours. And so <clears throat> just want to have a couple questions to end with and don't expect you to write them down, but maybe one of them will trigger something for you. What would it look like to become Jesus' apprentice for the good life? What would it look like to become Jesus' apprentice for the good life? What would it look like to let him teach you how to have the kind of relationship he has with God? That's what he's inviting people to. He's like, no, I'm listening to God's word and doing it. If you want to learn from me, that's what you're going to learn from me. How to have the kind of relationship with God that I have. Just be like, I'm going to come apprentice with you, Jesus. And Jesus is, is God's show and tell for what a healthy relationship with God looks like. A picture of someone living the good life. Someone hearing God's word and keeping it. So how can you let him teach you what it looks like to live as a beloved child of God? Because that's how Jesus is living. He's like, I'm a beloved child of God. God loves me. I love him. And now it's like, I'm going to attach myself to you, Jesus, to be your apprentice. That's what it meant to be a rabbi with disciples in the first century. It's not just, hey, come lecture. I'm going to lecture at 9 a.m. every day. You guys come. I'll give you some homework. You come back. I'll grade it. It's like, no, they adopt their way of life to learn what is it like to be that person. How can I be like them. So how can we let Jesus teach us what it looks like to live as a beloved child of God? To end this time in God's Word, we're just going to take some moments uh, to reflect on, because right, we just talked about uh, it's not about just hearing about it and then saying, you know, what did I learn today or what did I like about that, but it's about taking what we just heard and it going beyond this hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning and uh, being infused into the other, oh shoot, how many hours is it in a week? 100, 100, the other 167 hours in a week. It's not about this one hour. This hour is for the other 167 hours that you would hear God's word and then do it. And so <clears throat> share with each other the answer to this question. And I heard a little bit of it, bit of it coming out on the last question, but what's true of God that makes him worth listening to? Or you can think of it another way. What's true of God that makes doing what he says a blessing? What's true of God that makes him worth listening to? What's true of God that makes doing what he says a blessing? So share that with your groups, and then in a little bit I'll give you another question to move on. So what's true of God that makes him worth listening to? What's true of God that makes doing what he says a blessing?